0: With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft. The Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy and today we're going to jump into a new phase of the offseason here on the Journey to the Draft. And yeah, we're still going to have an eye towards 2019 and what happened. We talked the last couple of weeks about what the Eagles did and their selections and how they came to be, but We're going to now start looking more big picture at the draft process and most importantly, what people look for when they're evaluating college players. What do they place importance on when making that jump from college to the NFL? So we're going to talk to evaluators all across the media sphere. We're going to talk to some people on the football side as well, but I want to give you an inside look at what these people look at in terms of projecting players from college to the NFL. I've got a lot of great guests lined up and some questions that I want to get answered by all of them. So really excited to get things going there. And then also, we're just going to take a look around the NFL, look at what all the other 31 teams in the league did in the draft, and not necessarily give out grades or anything like that. Really, the the goal is to just get a sense of, what these teams are looking at because ultimately all 32 teams in the NFL are really happy with their drafts and what they got, all the players that they acquired over the course of draft weekend. So while some people may grade it as a D or a C – Ultimately, all those teams are really happy. So, try and get a sense of what are these teams looking at. Why did these teams acquire these players over the course of the three-day NFL draft? So, we're going to do that with Ben Fennel over the course of the next four episodes. And it just so happens that Ben is going to be my first guest here in Mister Relevant, talking about the draft process and what he values most. He's got an outstanding role, really uh, a very unique position. Ben is in terms of what he does on a year-round basis, covering the sport, whether it's NFL or college football. So. We'll get into what he does and what he looks for here in Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. We're really excited to get this series going here on Mr. Relevant. Joined by a good friend and Ben Fennell. You guys all remember Ben Fennell back from uh, the early parts of the season during the, the Journey to the Draft podcast. Every single week on Saturday scouting, we'd go through all the different places Ben would visit. Ben, welcome back, man. It's been uh, it's been a few months been on the It's good to, to be
1: back. Kind of feels like I never left, but right. we've had an entire draft and a draft cycle kind of uh, go by right before our eyes. So yep. it's. Uh Kind of an interesting time to reflect back on it.
0: So we did get to reflect back a little bit the last couple of weeks. What was it like going back and listening to your thoughts on the uh, the Eagles draft picks before they were Eagles?
1: You know, it's very interesting to kind of listen to the whole process and our whole journey to the draft, and just being introduced to a player, and then kind of going through his whole evaluation, and then following his arc as a prospect. Yep, it's a really fun kind of aspect of the journey, just to see where they went as a prospect, how they became on the national stage as a you know a high profile NFL potential player and then next thing you know this guy from the Pacific Northwest that nobody was talking about in September is suddenly a first-round pick here in Philadelphia so it's just very fun to follow the entire uh, arc of the prospect
0: what I loved most about it was the idea that you know now the fans got to hear analysis from us if they weren't listening back in the fall They got to hear our analysis of a guy before he was an Eagle, right? So, any thought they may have, oh, you know, they're just saying that because they work for the team. Like, no, like, this is how we felt about the guy when he was just at Washington State and no one was talking about him or going into the Senior Bowl or going into the Combine before there was any thought that he could be an Eagle. And I thought that was kind of fun for that series. And really, it's just a reason why you should be listening to this show all year round. And that's why we're going to continue to do this show year round. So, before we start talking about players for the 2020 NFL draft and get into that, we'll, we'll get into that in a few weeks. What I wanted to do over the next few episodes is, is catch up with evaluators like yourself that are all over the media sphere from, you know, the highest level of broadcast, uh, you know, down to people that, you know, maybe only do it uh, on Twitter, you know, and basically just kind of pick their brains about the whole process, you know, what it's like for you from an evaluation standpoint. So uh, my first question to, uh, to you, or for you will be this. Give us a picture of your evaluation process. What is it like going into it? You're getting ready to start watching a player. Mm. How many games do you want to watch? How do you pick the games to watch? You're going in, you're starting a player from scratch. What is what's going through your mind as you're going into the evaluation?
1: You know, it's a great question. And as much as you have a system and a formula and you could say, "Hey, you know what? I want to watch three games of every player. I want to watch something early, mid-season, late season." Yep. And then find that quality competition based on, uh, you know, those staggered games throughout the season. I can make a case for the formula, but in another case, every player is different. Yep. And if you're considering a quarterback in the top 10, is he going to be looked at and evaluated differently than a potential day three edge player? Obviously, you're going to put more time, more resources into players that you're considering to be a higher level of prospect and if somebody is a day two to a first round player you're going to put some more time and emphasis so I can say it's a formula you want to watch three games but that really isn't true and then it matters for certain quarterbacks if your scheme changed you know you want to watch them maybe in a previous scheme based on what they're watching now yep. or an injury and how they developed through that injury if they had a preseason ACL you're going to watch those first couple of games of September or do you want to watch them healthy in December so there's a lot of things to consider uh, you know With that as well, Uh, the injuries, the potential and play development, just getting stronger throughout the course of a year as well. So you definitely want to watch a number of games throughout the season, quality competitions, and then considering some of the other variables like coaching changes, injuries, development, and things like that.
0: Do you ever take production into account? Mm. If you see a guy, hey, he had 12 catches, and maybe it's not against the best level of competition, but... Man, he like. How did he have that those kind of numbers in that game?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And conversely, sometimes a prolific running back maybe had a, a bad game. Yeah, a bad game, yep, and sure. you know only averaged two yards a carry. And you see that two hundred yard game, and then you see a fifteen for forty game, and you're just as curious on what happened in that regard. Yep. All right. So
0: I want to ask you next about your calendar. What it's like for you from mm-hmm. a uh, you know from an evaluation standpoint? Just watching college players and trying to project them to the NFL. But I almost want to start from the jump because you have one of the most unique football media calendars like in the country, bar none, without question. So take us through, we'll say from training camp on, what your year is like for those that don't know.
1: So just quickly going through my calendar. From training camp in July, I'm here with the Philadelphia Eagles helping Fran out with the Eagles game plan. And then once the college season kicks off, I'm on the road each weekend at ESPN College Football doing X's and O's and analysis in the truck for our broadcast team of Dave Pash, Craig McElroy, Tom Luganbill. Also writing for The Athletic and doing some film breakdowns. And then that transitions the second the NFL season ends, going over and doing draft coverage, off-season coverage with NFL Network over at NFL Film. So we're covering the Senior Bowl, the combo. The draft, so it all—it's very different. It's a constantly evolving year, but everything feeds into the next job. Going out on the road and studying these players with ESPN obviously helps for my knowledge. Getting into draft season with NFL Network, so it's busy. It's a lot going on. It's a lot of football. Life could be worse, but I think everything kind of bleeds into the next job and really benefits uh, each position.
0: So now, take us through when you are watching these guys from a college standpoint. What does that calendar look like? When do How early do you start on players? And then when does it like really kick into high gear?
1: So right now, we're about 10 days removed from the 2019 NFL draft, and this is the time of the year in that summer where I'm just trying to acquire names. Yep. I'm just trying to get lists. I'm looking at all those senior bowl watch lists. I want to look at the preseason conference teams and just see names. I want to see lists to watch. There are scouting services through the NFL that put out lists that uh, certain scouts are assigned to that to put out grades of upperclassmen. But... Yep. A lot of those, you don't really have to take the grade to heart. I just want the list. I want names, and that's really all I'm doing right now is acquiring names to build into the database to eventually study and watch.
0: And then when does it really kick into high gear for you?
1: Well, like I was saying, working with the Eagles, being on the road with ESPN, writing articles for The Athletic, my time is limited. So I really have to pick my battles. I can't just watch players willy-nilly all week based on who I feel like watching. I'm going to strategize and make sure I'm watching players based on what game I'm attending with ESPN to be as educated and productive and be able to help out my announcers, my broadcast team, bring something to the production team uh, with my ESPN game. It really doesn't help me to study Kyler Murray if we're not doing an Oklahoma game this week. So I'm picking my battles based on my ESPN assignments and then just trying to stay relevant and up to speed
0: on all the major players in college football. Sure. All right. So uh, big picture, your strengths as an evaluator, Mm -hmm. what would you say your strongest point is?
1: You know, that's a tough question. Um, I think obviously having the access to coaching tape, the resources, going and seeing these players close up like NFL scouts are, I think is a huge resource. And then the aspect of, I just think my eyes are trained. Having worked on NFL Network's playbook for a number of years, working on Eagles game plan, working in the truck at ESPN games, I see the game very quickly. I could get through a lot of tape very quickly. Um, So I think just having my eyes trained to watching coaching tape, knowing what to look for immediately helps me be efficient in the process. And then the other aspect, which I think is just a unique thing with myself, is just memory recall. Mm. I have a kind of a unique memory to reflect back on previous players, plays, games, schemes. And that all, I think, adds into the equation when you're evaluating these players and having that recall of previous situations of players, previous instances of skill sets, traits, measurables, and things like that, I think are important to project success and failure when you're looking at these players.
0: Who would you say have been some of your biggest influences in being able to watch the game? And we'll say just, maybe not from a schematic XO standpoint, but from a evaluating players and you know that that side of it. Who's been your biggest influence?
1: You know, once I went over to uh, Playbook at NFL Films, and I worked there for six seasons, just being able to surround myself with unique football minds so, you know, I had the front office guys. I was able to sit there and watch film with Mike Lombardi or Charlie Casler or Mike Mayock or sit there in the trenches and watch, you know, O line play with Brian Baldinger or Barrett Brooks. And then suddenly I could watch linebacker play with Matt Millen and just having access to all these different people and unique football minds, credible football minds. Yep. Um, and players and coaches and players that were in the front office and people in front office that are willing to give back yeah. and realize I didn't get to this position on my own. This is a young kid willing to learn. Let me take the time to show him what I know as well. And if you're willing to learn and there's people willing to teach, that's kind of the beautiful thing about this industry. And you you rarely ever get to where you're going on your own. Yeah, and just to be around those people that give back. Whether it's the Brian Billick or the Greg Cosells or the Joe Theismann, such an interesting craft. And in that no matter who you watch the game with, everybody sees it a little bit differently. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of diversify
0: your portfolio and make sure you're watching with different minds. Well, that leads perfectly into my mm-hmm. next question: Is based off of the people that have influenced you and the, and the way that you kind of look at the game? What are some of those things that kind of that you think kind of set yourself apart? Or that you know, you've driven you've taken on from those people that have influenced you that maybe not everybody out there sees it through this kind of telescope?
1: You know, that's a great question. And I could sit there with, you know, Sean O'Hare and he could tell me everything about a prospect through a stance. And I right. start looking at the stance more, you know, certain aspects of running back play with LeDainian Tomlinson, looking at the running backs finish to runs and are they falling forward? Where is the pile going? And certain aspects like that. But the more I watch these players and the more I study this game, I'm paying more and more attention to some of the aesthetics of players. Yeah. And that's the body language. That's your attitude. That's your effort. That's being a good teammate, playing to the whistle, not giving up on plays. And that's what I want, and that's what I want, a good teammate. I want good workers. I want good people. I want to be around good men. And that's, I think, where you get success from at the college game and the pro game when you start surrounding yourself with good people that are all buying in. And I think that's kind of the interesting thing to try to find that when you're watching tape and find those things that separate a A minus player from an A player. Yep. And sometimes it is an ability. And a lot of these successes and failures in the NFL are rarely about ability. Sure. And I think digging into all those other factors and maybe the intangibles or what I call the aesthetics of the game. They matter, and they matter more or less to certain people. And I'm just putting a little bit more emphasis. The more I talk to people, the more I watch the game, the more I put value in certain aspects of the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you, you're a wide. You're looking at a wide receiver, and the ball goes elsewhere. What is his body language like? An offensive lineman gives up a sack. What is his body language like? A running back gets hit behind the line of scrimmage. Is he turning and screaming at his offensive line? Is he like putting his head down, and going back to the huddle? No is question. he sulking yeah. after? Like. All those little things I agree those are kind of the things that I'll look at when a guy makes a big play are his teammates excited for him the other way around is he excited for his teammates like those are little things that kind of help paint a picture of what of what a guy's built for and to me that's one of the more interesting uh, aspects of it and there was another point you brought up you know just drawing all the people that you watch film with it almost like takes you when you, you know we watch film with a strength coach you watch film with a running back coach or a former offensive lineman. You realize the things that you don't know because you're talking to people that are experts in their field, and they're, they're looking at it through a complete different lens than where I would ever think to even look. And that's kind of the beautiful
1: aspect of this game, and it's an art form, and everybody looks at that painting differently. But in order to see those different perspectives, you have to surround yourself with different perspectives. Yeah. And it's not a craft that you can just close the door, have a stack of books, a stack of, a stack of videos of camps and clinics and tape, And all the resources you need and say, I'm going to come out an expert because you don't know what you don't know. And that's Mm -hmm. something we talk about all the time, whether we're watching with the strength coach or listening to O-line clinics and things like that. You can't play every position. You can't be an expert at every position. You can't be an expert, you know, in the strength program and the salary cap and a positional expert. You just can't do it. Yep. So you really need to rely on the experts around you and use those resources and just be willing to learn because there's always more and more to learn to it.
0: Yeah, and when you uh, you look at what how you evaluate these players and how you study them and how you try and project them, and then you look in, and I know you've talked with with numerous scouts over the course of, of your career. And what their job is, how do you kind of juxtapose those two positions?
1: You know, and I think that's kind of the interesting aspect of these media scouts and guys yeah. that are working, in lack of better words, to, to educate fans on yep. these players, exactly. on the game, on the schemes, on the X's and O's versus scouts working for teams. And you have a purpose and you're trying to identify players for your coaching staff and for scheme fits. And um, it could be much more focused than a media scout where we have to cover everybody, not yep. necessarily pug- pl- uh, pegging them into a scheme or a fit. We just want to educate the fans on these players and the pros and cons. And I think uh, it's tough to do when we call ourselves these one-man scouting departments, when you're trying to watch every player, when these NFL teams have you know, an entire department of scouts and assistant scouts and regional scouts mm. and all these resources of people to uh, – Evaluate these players. It's it's overwhelming at times to try to do this by yourself, and um, I think that's kind of where it differentiates. And the, these NFL teams have so many more people, resources, and for a much more specific purpose. That's why they're much more efficient and you know productive at what they do. There's
0: always more film to watch. No so there's question. always yeah. another guy to look at. There's always more information, more numbers to go through. Uh, just a, so many different ways to look at it. What would you say? I don't want to say. I don't want to say the word overrated. But what part of the evaluation process do you think gets talked about too much in the media sphere? Obviously, that's the sphere where we both operate, uh, that you feel gets talked about too much.
1: I have two quick answers. Firstly is this aspect of analytics and production thresholds and things like that. When you just want to evaluate a player's production percentage based on the offense, based on other players, I think that gets to be a bit overrated because – some offenses are well distributed. Yep. It just is. You know, you get freshmen and sophomore four and five stars. You're promising them playing time. The, there's only one ball to go around, and certain offenses distribute it well, and some just don't have the production levels of other players. But um, right off the cuff, I think the test scores and the measurable thresholds are way overblown. Mm. Now, they dominate the spotlight in January, February, March with the Combines, the yep. Senior Bowls, and the Pro Days. days. Yep. They really dominate the headlines. That's the only football we have to watch are these guys in underwear jumping and dancing around and without pads on. Um, I still think that's only about five to ten percent of the equation. I think in those two and a half months, it's such a focus part, point of the media and transitioning into draft season. Yep. I think it just gets a bit overanalyzed, and we want to create these thresholds. and Can you look at all the Hall of Fame running backs and say, this is what your height, weight, speed should be? Absolutely. But does that mean there weren't Hall of Fame running backs that didn't meet that threshold? Sure. Absolutely. So I think there's this kind of growing age of analytics and wanting to find a formula to say, when we put the player into this machine and pull the lever, is he successful or not? And that's really not how it works. Mm. I think when you start pegging players into thresholds and measurables, that's how you miss out on good players. And I think that whole season of Pro Days Combine is just a bit overblown because it's still only about 5% of the equation. And the people that value those workouts over the tape – that's something I'll go to the grave with. Yeah. Because your tape is your football DNA.
0: You cannot deny your tape. You're not going to find uh, me disagreeing with that. Right, question. exactly. <laughs> um what, what, what would you say is your weakness as an evaluator, your biggest weakness as an evaluator? We're, none of us are perfect, obviously, like you mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, and just speaking earlier about just not being an expert at every position and not having played or coached a yep. high level, you know, we can't be an expert at every position, know the technique and assignments of every position on the field, and being able to evaluate every position like we were that individual uh, position coach. You just can't do it. Um, but I think my weakness as an evaluator, like everybody's, is you're blind to certain aspects and you're blind to some very important aspects. You could study that player on the tape, but you don't know the man. You don't know the teammate. You don't know the student, the coworker, the, you know, the employee, the member of the community that you're getting. And I think it's not necessarily a weakness. There's just a bit of a curtain behind these players that you just don't know. Yeah. And they're very important aspects. And like we said before, the success and failure of these players are rarely about ability. So, in all those other aspects, how do you figure out that information? And you can watch every snap this kid's ever played, but it doesn't tell you about the person. Yep. Um, so I think there's just that struggling aspect to figure out who's the player, who's the man, who's the employee, who's the teammate, who's the coworker um, that you're also getting with it. That's a huge part of the equation.
0: There, are, you said something you know earlier that you know you you don't know what you don't know until you start talking to some of these people. I thought back to uh, the breakdown I did with Jeff Stoutland mm-hmm. on Andre Dillard and draft weekend. And it, it happens every time I talked with a position coach or, you know, you talk to a scout, you talk to anybody that's, you know, an expert in their field and you just let them go. And you think you're like, when, when coach Dowlin starts talking about, uh, you know, Andre Dillard watching the, the alignment of the defensive end and which foot he's going to come off of. And okay. It could be on the second step or the fourth step that he's going to try and come inside, or it could be on the third or fifth step because of how his feet are on this play. Like, not in a million years would I think, like, oh yeah, like I should, I, that's something I could be looking at. It's something that the offensive lineman could be looking at. I wish i pick up on stuff like that. Those are the things you, just, you have no idea. But there's only so many hours
1: in the day. If you only <laughs> exactly. have 100 chips. We want to put some in the quarterback cylinder, right. some in the running back, some in the O-line, some in the secondary. Jeff Stoughton said, no, I'm all in on O-line. <laughs> so he's an expert in O-line. Yep. Is he going to be able to tell you the technique and the footwork of a corner or safety? Absolutely not, Right, but that's where this comes in. You have to pick your battles. What do you want to be an expert on? If you're diluting your skills and saying, I want to know a little bit about every position, there's a lot to be learned still yep. and all the details and the nuances of those people that put all their chips into that you know one position and say, I'm an expert at O-line. I know everything about O-line. When you get and surround yourself with those people – it's very, very impressive of the things that you had no idea and the things that you don't know.
0: How long does it take you to feel good about an evaluation? Now, this is like an overarching question that you could probably, uh, you know, it's so different across Yeah, it's a fun but.
1: question because, you know, if I'm watching a game and he stinks, and the next game he stinks, suddenly he consistently stinks. <laughs> I feel pretty good about writing down <laughs> that Stains. he stinks, you know? <laughs> um, so sometimes it, it takes, you know, two games and two You know, it's the players that are up and down that I think take you some time. It's the players where you saw a great game and then not so great game. It's the Hackenbergs where you had a great freshman season and then you struggled. Those are the ones that take you a little bit longer to really figure out who is that player. Was it this tape? Was it this tape? Is it somewhere in the middle? Um, The second you get a consistent player in that one game, two games, three games, I feel good about it. Sure. You know, it's the high-variance players that really you have to dig into, and maybe you're getting to five, six, seven, maybe even ten games of a player spanning multiple years to feel good about one thought or opinion about
0: them. You know, one thing that you, that you do that I picked up on, I want to say like three years ago, um, we were talking about, I don't even mm-hmm. remember the DB at this point, but one of the things that you do is you'll look at all the big plays allowed by that defense. Sure. And to me, like, that mm-hmm. was one thing that, that's helped me during for uh, DB evaluations is, all right, I'm going to watch – you know, we'll say three, four games. We'll watch all the his contacts with the ball, so all of his tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, interceptions, pass mm-hmm. breakups. But then I want to watch all the big plays allowed by you know his defense over the course of a season. How many of those plays was he responsible for? Like, what was his role on this eighty-yard touchdown or this seventy-yard completion? To me, like those are the things. Like that's that's a pretty cool thing to help just kind of put a ribbon on an evaluation. Is like, all right, like I feel pretty good after I finish that. I watch a few games and I get through those specialty tapes. That's when I start to feel okay. Well,
1: sitting next to me for a couple of years, you know I put so much emphasis on explosive plays. Yes, it's a big right. play business. Yep. We got to create them, we got to prevent them. Yep. I don't care if a corner gives up four yards on third and three, you know, get the slant, made the tackle. It's going to happen. We can't give up the 20 yard plays. We yep. can't let the ball go overhead. We can't miss tackles. And those are the things that Matt Patricia and Belichick emphasize with corners. Where are the most explosive plays coming? Coverage busts, confusions, missed tackles. We want smart players. We want good football players, well-rounded football players. And when you start breaking it down in that aspect and you say, you know, I need corners that prevent those big plays, that's why I go back and I throw on the 20-plus yard plays against, and I want to see how many were on that guy because a team may stink, but it might have been the safeties coming down or exactly. it might have been the other corner
0: or it might have been poor fits from the linebacker. I want to know where they came from. Last question for you in this segment. Advice for fans out there? Maybe they don't want to be evaluators. They, want to be, they don't want to be in your role, but they may, maybe they just want to be smarter football fans. They want to have a better understanding of what it takes to succeed mm-hmm. in the NFL uh, coming from college. What's the best advice you can give isn't it, from an evaluation standpoint?
1: You know, just be willing to understand you don't know everything and you don't know what you don't know. Be open to other perspectives, opinions, and that doesn't even go to football. That goes to life, whether it's sports and religions and things like that. And just be willing to accept other people's opinions, aspects, viewpoints on things. You don't have to agree. Just be willing to listen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just to cut the crap, it's 2019. Two clicks. I can watch Bill Walsh breaking down West Coast Triangles. You know, two clicks, I could talk about find Nick Saban or Belichick talking about defensive back techniques or, you know, books on any aspect of the game that you want to learn about, whether it's Alex Gibbs on O line play and whether it's books or clinics and things like that. It's 2019. Use your resources. Go Mm -hmm. find books, go find clinics, use YouTube. If you want to learn, there are resources out there. And whether that's YouTube or just go on Twitter and you can find. Hall of Fame players willing to engage with you and talk with you about the game. I think it's just an incredible time right now with the internet and technology and to take advantage of resources out there because they're out there if you're willing to use them.
0: Well, Ben, this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, very cool I, I will say uh, goodbye, but we're going to talk to you in the very next segment and over the course of the next few episodes. Uh, we're going to start our Draft Buzz series where we're going to look back at what teams did in the draft and how that kind of speaks to the way they're trying to build their roster. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Alright, well let's get going here with Draft Buzz, and, and today we're going to take a look at the NFC East and the AFC East. Ben, we're going to skip the Eagles, because uh, while we haven't gotten your official thoughts on what the Eagles did in the draft, a ton of recaps so far here on the Journey to the Draft podcast on the Eagles 5 selections. So uh, we're going to skip ahead to the New York Giants, and a bunch of picks in this draft, and obviously two first or three first-round picks uh, that we'll break down, but... When you look at this draft overall, just overall thoughts on, on the future of this team, where they're going, there's been a lot said uh, about the direction of this franchise. And, and to me, it ultimately, it's going to come down to Daniel Jones, if Daniel Jones is the right pick. But there are a couple of interesting themes, I think, when you look at this, uh, this group overall.
1: Yeah, no question. I think a bit of a changing of the guard as far as those pillar players for the Giants. You know, in the last calendar year, getting rid of Odell Beckham, Olivier Vernon, Snacks Harrison, first-round picks, Eli Apple going. So a lot of those major players in the locker room, the first-round picks, the high-dollar free agents, are now gone. So it's a bit of a changing of the guard. I think they're trying to change some culture and get some different uh, voices and bodies in there. So very interesting to see them, you know make changes and get rid of a high dollar nose tackle like a Snacks Harrison last year, and then you go turn around and you draft a nose tackle in round one in Dexter Lawrence. So it's very interesting to see this kind of changing of the guard. Eli Apple they shipped to uh, New Orleans last year. They go and address it with two cornerbacks this year, DeAndre Baker, Julian Love from uh, Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, and don't forget too they also drafted Sam Beal last year in the supplemental draft. Correct, from Western Michigan? Western Michigan. So uh, he tore tore his ACL, or he had some kind of season-ending injury in the offseason. So you fact in the three guys they drafted this year, along with Sam Beal, a lot of turnover at the cornerback spot. And remember, James Betcher, who uh, was a, a, a tutor or a, was, you know, learned under uh, Todd Bowles in Arizona, right. heavy sub package. They want to play a lot of man coverage, a lot of multiple DBs. So, you know, adding in all these young bodies, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I ultimately, it's like, okay, I can see what the thought process is there. And then uh, also, they prioritize length and the ability to kind of win off the edge. Uh, you know, with guys that have the ability to be stout. You know, O'Shane Siminas, from a body type standpoint, I think makes some sense for them as well.
1: Yeah, he fits that scheme. They want more of those outside linebackers, the Kareem Martins, the Lorenzo Carter, yep. Olivier Vernon was a little bit more of a four-three traditional defensive end that he couldn't move around and stand up as much. So, getting his players in there, those defensive coordinators typically take you know a year, eighteen months to really turn the whole page and get the style of players you want to work with.
0: Yeah, and ultimately, like I said earlier, it, cu- it comes down to, to Daniel Jones and, no wh- and what's going to happen there. Uh, Alright, let's get to, to Washington. Same kind of deal. Two first-round picks. They took a first uh, quarterback first with Dwayne Haskins, who, to me, that's a perfect fit with the way Jay Gruden wants to play offense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense from a schematic standpoint. And then Montez Sweat they lose Preston Smith, former Mississippi State rusher. They plug in uh, a current Mississippi State rusher and Sweat, who has a similar skill set. No question. They're very
1: similar players from a skill set, play style, and size. They're both big, broad, long uh, defensive ends that set good edges, maybe not as fleet of foot and as speed rushers as uh, some of these other players around the league. But in that same mold, but Dwayne Haskins bringing his Ohio State teammate, Terry McLaurin, down to Washington with nope. him, hometown kid. I know he's. Where a did little- you land on McLaurin? I had him as a day two player. I okay. liked him. I thought he was a little more well rounded than some of these other players, like you know Paris Campbell, and whatnot. I love his special teams, you know, yep. involvement. He can win inside, win outside. Being a great teammate, he's a guy I think you just want in your locker room, uh, and he's going to improve any roster. But Dwayne Haskins, I know, felt a little slighted that the Giants didn't take him or nobody in the top ten did. But Washington's a great fit for him. He's going to come in and be able to compete. Potentially start right yeah, away. Could, yeah, decent roster with Darius Geis back there, a good offensive line. You know Trent Williams and. Brandon Scherf there, some foundational pieces on the O-line. You got Jordan Reed still. Very interesting mix of players on offense with Jay Gruden. I think they're going to try to bolster that interior offensive line with them going and getting Wes Mar- West Martin and uh, Ross Piercebacher from Alabama, who's played a lot of football down in the yep. SEC. Um, so I could definitely see this offense taking a step in the right direction. Just questioning what's going on at receivers out there. Sure. Is this the last year for Josh Doxson? I know they brought in Paul Richardson last yep. year to be a contributor. Jameson Crowder is now out the door. You bring in Terry McLaurin. You get Kelvin Harmon late from NC State. So a bit of a changing of the guard as well on the perimeter. But I think the trenches, the running back, the offensive line are in a great position for a rookie run. Uh, excuse me, a rookie quarterback.
0: Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a very good point. And obviously, their fourth-round pick, their first fourth-round pick, Bryce Love, Looking like probably a redshirt year would be my guess uh, with the torn ACL back last season And that's
1: okay. I mean, they have Adrian Peterson back. You got Darius De- Geis healthy now. And Chris you have Thompson. Chris Thompson has yep. their scat back, who would be a great player to learn from, uh, yep. seeming like that's going to be Bryce Love's kind of role in the NFL. And it
0: wouldn't shock me if Jimmy Moreland uh, made that team. A uh, very pick. fun player from James Madison. All right, let's go to Dallas now. They they don't have a first-round pick uh, because of the Amari Cooper trade, but uh, second round they turn around and they get Tristan Hill, a guy that – schematically really fits Rod Marinelli. I mean, he's the kind of player that fits that upfield, one-gap, 4-3 scheme. No question. It, and a lot of people have been saying, scouts have been saying, they
1: think Tristan Hill's best football is in front of them. Yeah. And had a bit of a uh, kind of conflict with the new coaching staff at UCF. on think only one start last year. Really wasn't on the field a whole lot. But the second he was on the field, he stood out. Played with great intensity, great effort usually one of the first guys across the line of scrimmage with that great first step. That's what the NFL wants, these trench players, guys that disrupt and get across that line of scrimmage immediately and really disrupt backfields and make plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And Who's the last dominant interior defensive tackle from the Dallas Cowboys? This has been a kind of Bermuda triangle you know, for the last five, yep. maybe even ten years of having a productive interior player. Leroy Glover? Potentially, I, I'm Maybe having I'm one. having trouble thinking and staying out of those kind of '90s Cowboys right. heyday. Uh, obviously, the Demarcus Ware's worked out on the edge, but who's going to be that stout player in front? I know they had the nose tackle for a number of good years there. I'm blanking on his name Ooh. right now.
0: <sighs> yeah, I've undersized guy.
1: I think he went to Chicago for a couple. Oh, of years yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Jay Ratliff. Yeah, Jay Ratliff, very yeah. good player, well but not his yeah. style.
1: He's more of a two-gapping sure. line of scrimmage dweller. Everybody wants those single gap, yep. get up the field
0: players, and that's really Tristan Hill. And not a shock, too, that they uh, brought in a couple other defensive linemen as well. Joe Jackson from Miami, Jalen Jelks from Oregon late. Uh, a couple running backs, which is interesting. Uh, tell us what you think about Tony Pollard and how he, you think he could fit with Jason Garrett. If we think we're going to call him a running back. Because sure. we saw him in the backfield. We saw him in the
1: slot. We saw him outside. He already set the record for kickoff return touchdowns. I was a huge fan of Tony Pollard. I thought he would have replaced the Randall Cobb really well in Green Bay. No, they end up pairing him with Randall Cobb, who is now in Dallas yep. on that free agent deal. I think he's just a great player to add to your offense. They lost the uh, slot player, I think Cole Beasley Cole left Beasley left. Yep, sure. So somebody to run those jet sweeps and win quickly. And just I think any offensive coordinator would just salivate to have a player like Tony Pollard that can do so much for your offense. He's... One
0: hundred percent, a gadget player. in My eyes, I think, can win all over the field. And Garrett has shown the you know, Jason Garrett has shown the willingness to kind of move guys around and do different things with at the running back position in the past. I and mean, there's the kid that uh, was kind of a change of pace guy for them a few years ago. Who uh, his name is? Str- I'm, trying to, I'm struggling to remember his name, but um, they've yeah. done that in the past with guys. Like Joseph
1: Randall or one of those. Guys? Joseph.
0: Rand- it wasn't Joseph Randall, but uh, guys that I know that you know they've in the past have moved yeah. running backs around the formation into the slot, out wide, try and create matchups and. Um, so that's on the Another think player who's not too
1: sexy, but I really like Mike Weber. I think he's played some yeah. good football, got a little bit passed over for the younger J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State, yep. had a little bit more juice, but joining his Buckeye teammate, uh, Zika Elliott, down there in Dallas, I think he's going to be a great kind of depth piece uh, to replace Elliott.
0: All right, so let's go to the AFC East now with uh, the New York Jets, who obviously have had the third overall pick, stayed put. There was a lot of scuttlebutt that they could trade out. They take Quinn and Williams, uh, playing for Greg Williams. How do you see that uh, and where he could fit there on that front?
1: I think he's going to fit in any scheme. You get two gap for you, you get up the field for you. It's when you address some of these needs in free agency. They spent some money, Le'Veon Bell, CJ Mosley, Colletchio Semele, you bring in Jameson Crowder. Now let's just take the best player on the board. And yep. that's obviously Quinton Williams when you're sitting there with a the third overall pick that can play in early downs, get up the field in passing downs. Yep. He's going to make your whole front better. It doesn't matter that you took Leonard Williams or you brought in some free agents last year like Steve McClendon. He's better than them. This is a guy that's going to play three downs for you and change the the culture and the attitude of that front seven.
0: Kept Mike McCagnin's streak as a GM going. Do you want to know the streak I'm referring to? No. No. Well, so, well, you don't want to know or you don't uh, know yeah, that? I don't know this.
1: Yeah, I would like to know. <laughs> uh,
0: Mike McCagnin, every year he's been the GM of the Jets. He has selected a player who's 21 years uh, old or younger. So how about that? Interesting. Okay. Every single time. Which, I mean, 21, is that's like the ideal age you want to draft a guy. Uh, that's not always going to be the case. Every single guy he's drafted in round one has been a 21-year-old. Hmm. Staying What's away saying? from Utah and BYU, it Yeah, like. uh, clearly. Um, now, later on, they did select uh, Ja'Kai Polite, who fell you know, for for other reasons. Chuma Adoga, there were, there were kind of whispers around uh, that he may have stuff away from the field as well, just based off media reports. Um, so, interesting that they kind of delved into those waters in the third round. Travon Wesco is a guy that, to me, is very intriguing. They took him in the fourth round.
1: Yeah, they have him listed on the depth charts as a backup tight end and the fullback right yep. now. As expected, he's just a great blocker in line or as a wing player. could seal off backside defensive ends. He's a great player that I think is a traditional Y fit uh, for tight ends in uh, the NFL offensive scheme. Didn't do a whole lot in the past game at West Virginia. They loved that 10 personnel with one yep. running back, four receivers, so they rarely had the tight end on the he field. He didn't
0: take a lot of time to watch for game full exactly. games on because he see, played like you those two-by-two
1: two sets. You know Wesco wasn't That's out right. there. He's typically <laughs> in line or in that wing position. But when he was on the field, blocked very well, really ran his feet in the run game, got movement at the point of attack, played with good intensity. Just didn't really know what he can add in the pass game. A couple pop passes and some seams off play. action. you don't really know what he can add to the game. But I'll tell you what, he's a guy that can be on the field on first and second down in the run game. And we can scheme the open off play action. That's okay in the slip routes and over routes and things like that. But he's a player that I think is going to change the culture of that offensive line in the tight end room. I know they have some more pass-catching type of tight ends like Chris Herndon. Um, I think he'll
0: be a much more traditional inline tight end for the run game. Yeah, interesting to see how Adam Gase uses him and uh you know, look when we move into the next team here in the AFC is this isn't we're not grading these teams, right? But if you go and look at draft grades from the this uh media cycle Buffalo was almost always listed as one of the top two or three because they got Ed Oliver at number 9, and no one thought he'd be there. And they got Cody Ford in the second round. No one thought he'd be there. Uh, they got Dawson Knox in the third round. They got Jaquan Johnson, who was a first-round pick in mock drafts a year ago at this time. Uh, so they got a bunch of guys, Devin Singletary, in the third round that everybody was excited about overall.
1: You know, when I looked at the Bills roster, there's a couple other teams as well I didn't say they had a glaring need. Obviously, they had some holes and can improve some talent in places, but when I talk to these teams and talk to fans of this team, address the trenches when in doubt. I think that's what the Bills did. You went and got an Ed Oliver, his level of athleticism and playmaking, and then a Cody Ford. I think when you're adding this level of talent – To the trenches on either side of the ball just makes your football team better. That's the lifeblood of the team: your O line, your D line, and when you have players that are excelling in both phases of the game, run and pass, on both sides of the ball, it just makes both teams better. I think that's what you have to do with a rookie quarterback, or excuse me, a young quarterback in his second year now, and really solidify those players in front of him.
0: And it's funny, I kind of look at them, and it's funny how narratives work, right? Because uh, Brandon Bean is being, you know, like I said, being held as one of the big winners of this draft. He learned under Dave Gettleman. That was one of his big influences in Carolina. Uh, they were together for a few, few years there, uh, and they those two remain friends now. Dave Gettleman's getting crushed by most media for what's going on with the Giants, and you can question different decisions, things like that. But Buffalo is taking that same kind of approach. They found their quarterback that last year everybody kind of questioned, Oh, is Josh Allen a franchise quarterback? And now they want to build both in the trenches and up the middle. That was one thing that Brandon Bean has said in the past in the media is, you know, we want to be strong up the middle on both sides. So, D tackle, linebacker, safety, and build our way outwards. Uh, and essentially, I think it kind of follows uh, that footprint here with Cody Ford, you know, Ed Oliver. They get a running back and Devin Singletary, who's very similar to LaShawn McCoy. And
1: now, the draft is kind of tough because it's based on who's available, and you don't yes. always know the pecking order. Free agency is always interesting to evaluate because that's the team's. You could see their plan. You could see where they yep. feel like they need to address. And what they do? They add Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon, some running backs yep. to add behind Josh Allen. You went and brought Mitch Morris from Kansas City, Quentin Spine from Tennessee. You go and take Cody Ford in the second round. Yep. It's clearly a commitment to improving the bodies
0: around Josh Allen, whether at the running back position or the O-line. Yeah, and I think you can look at a similar thing with Miami. Uh, and you listen to all the the. the Basically, that new that whole new regime. Whenever anybody speaks, hey, head coach Brian Flores, defense coordinator, general manager Chris Chris Greer, they talked about trench play. They talked about being able to win at the point of attack using length, strong hands. You know, all that's good that stuff. Uh, Gap sound players. You take Christian Wilkins in round one. You take Michael Dieter, the, the offensive lineman from Wisconsin in round three. Uh, you get those kind of guys to help kind of build the the foundation of what you're trying to build long term.
1: Yeah, you just want good football players that have played a lot of ball. Even Isaiah Prince down there in, yeah. the, in the sixth round, I think was the Big Ten offensive lineman of the year, has played a lot of ball. Ohio State off that right side of the offensive line. Michael Dieter, too, has played up and down that old line at Wisconsin for the last three, four years. There's players with a lot of experience and quality competition in football. Christian Wilkins, can't say enough things yeah. about him, obviously. Uh, in his four years at Clemson, all academic, all conference, all American, national championships, hasn't missed a game. Yep. He's a model citizen, graduated. These are just players you want on your team and just Trying to change that culture and just
0: get you know better employees and better football players in the building. Let's go to New England. They take uh, Nikhil Harry, the wide receiver from Arizona State, in the final pick of round one. It's interesting. I'm interested to see how he's used and what his fit is. And then you know, wide receivers don't always have immediate success in the NFL. Uh, but this is a guy I think that could be used both inside and outside. You know, you lose Rob Gronkowski, you lose some of the other weapons in that passing game. I'm I'm very intrigued to see how he's used by uh, by Bill Belichick in that offense.
1: Yeah, I would not put it past you know Josh McDaniels be creative with them. This could be a big slot. Definitely, you might see him in some wing positions, almost like a, a move tight end in some aspects. And uh, the way they kind of used Aaron Hernandez several years ago, there was some wide receiver like tendencies and skill sets and schemes they put him into, where they're okay with having that heavier receiver. Uh you could call him a tight end if you want or a big slot, but Nikhil Harry you can win all over the field. His one thing was he really struggled with separating within the route and his route stems, but was very good at contested catches as a big frame to really shield away some of those smaller defensive backs. Yep. So a lot of different things you could do
0: with him. They take uh Damian Harris in the third round and you know, they took Sony Michelle in the first round last year. That wouldn't shock me if Damian Harris was a guy that got, you know, lion share of carries because that's, kind of that's kind of his skill set, um, you know, at some point, maybe not maybe even year one, but down the road year two, year three. Yeah, I think Sonny,
1: Mich- Sonny Michelle is a tough running back, but he's really more of a change of pace yes. back that you want to get on uh, the I perimeter, agree. outside the tackles, in the space, into the pass game, where you may see Damian Harris between the tackles on early downs a little bit more than we would think. Uh, then working Sony Michelle and Rex Burkhead and some of those more scat backs uh, as you get closer to the passing down. So Damian Harris, another guy that's played a lot of football, is a blue-collar player and just someone you can rely on. It's not going to fumble the ball, knows his assignments and pass protection. Just wasn't a sexy pick. Everybody liked the upside of these Josh Jacobs and the explosive elements, but... Guys play a lot of football for
0: Alabama and at a quality level. Some of the things that you just said about Harris, you say the same thing about Chase Winovich, Mm -hmm. Yelda Froholt, the offensive line from Arkansas, um, uh, Jawan Williams from Vanderbilt. Guys have played a lot of football, and you kind of you kind of know what you're getting. Yeah, no question.
1: They even took uh, Malik Gant from Marshall uh, as an undrafted player, oh. who's one of the more fun safeties to it watch was. out there, thumping players uh,
0: on the back end. Yeah, one of the bigger hitters yep. uh, that I watched. All right, well, Ben, uh, we'll catch up with you again next week here uh, on Draft Buzz, here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll do the NFC South and the AFC South next week, so stay tuned for that conversation next week on the Journey to the Draft podcast. All right, so that'll do it. great stuff this week from Ben Fennel, both in Mr. Relevant and in Draft Buzz as we go back and look at what all 31 teams did. Like I said, we're going to look ahead to the NFC and AFC South next week on the show with Ben. We'll have another guest, though, to, to talk about his draft process and what he looks for in college players. So tune in for that next week on the Journey to the Draft podcast.